the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. We said that the key verse for the book of Revelation probably is Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Let's look at that real quickly to remind ourselves of what we need to do with this book. John received these words from the Lord, where the Lord tells him, Write the things which you have seen, one, and the things which are, two, and the things which will take place after this, three. Now, the one thing we're all agreed on is that the past is chapter 1. The present for the Apostle John were the seven letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. And there is some thinking that because the church continues and has for 2,000 years, that every characteristic of all of these churches is found somewhere in the church today. And so all of what we see in 2 and 3 are relevant for this day and age 2,000 years later as it was for John 2,000 years ago. And then we have in Revelation chapter 4 these interesting words. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now, I try to be sensitive to several positions on Revelation chapter 4 through the end of the book. There are those who look at Revelation chapter 4 and say, okay, John is starting to describe the future of the world in the context of the work of the church, and he begins with the persecution of the Roman Empire, and then he goes all the way up to this present day. And then there are those who say, well... He definitely seems to be talking about the Roman Empire. That's his frame of reference. But John is jumping over many, many years. And in chapter 4, he begins talking about things that are going to happen. The end of the world. Yes, he has the Roman Empire as his reference. But he quickly goes to the end of the world where the Bible tells us that there's going to be seven years of tribulation, then the second coming of Christ as the king, and then number three, the new heaven and the new earth after a thousand-year millennial reign. Now, that's the best synopsis I can give you of two major positions. I, I'm a premillennialist, so I look at chapter 4, and, and I say this chapter is dealing with uh, the seven years of tribulation that are coming, and then followed by the, the second coming of Christ to rule and reign for a thousand years, and then the new heaven and the new earth. And I do it based on how quickly we get into things that we have never seen happen on the face of the earth. 
Let me explain that to you. For instance, in chapter 4, we have a scene in heaven where God is sitting on the throne, surrounded by 24 elders. We assume 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, 12 apostles in the New Testament. And we have seven spirits of God and four living creatures. Those are the, those are the symbols that are used of this heavenly scene. And the problem is that there's a huge question because God is about to judge the earth. And he's going to judge the earth with three series of judgments. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And the heart of Revelation deals with seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And the problem is that there is no one in heaven who is worthy and no one on earth who is worthy to open the scroll where the seven seals are described and can be administered. And so in chapter 4, verse 5, the Bible says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, verse 6 of chapter 4, of, of chapter 5, rather, I, I looked, and, 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 and I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now it's very easy to see that this lion of the tribe of Judah is the Lord Jesus himself. And he comes and he takes the scroll out of the hand of the one on the throne. And the Bible says then that he is the one who opens the seals. Chapter 6, chapter 6, first seal. Chapter 6, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth seal. Then there is a little bit of an interlude. It's kind of like a break in the action. There's a little bit of a discussion on some very important things that are going to happen in the midst of all of these judgments. And then after that interlude, we have the seventh seal opened at the end of chapter 7, which includes the beginning of chapter 8. And we have then the seven trumpets in chapter 8. What amazes me about the trumpets is that you see the word a third a third, a third. In the first trumpet, a third of the trees were burned up. In the second trumpet, a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. Third trumpet, a third of the rivers and the springs of water. Verse 10. The fourth trumpet, verse 12, then the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars 
so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And then as if it doesn't get any better, it gets worse, he says, listen, the next three are going to be very woeful indeed. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. For the fifth trumpet is going to be the most horrible thing you can imagine. And the sixth trumpet will go into it in greater detail. And then the seventh trumpet, we have a proclamation of the coming of the kingdom of Christ before we have another huge interlude, and then we have the seal judgments, which finalize the whole thing. Now, that's the best I, I can do on a quick overview. We're going to look at chapter 12 in detail now. And when we look at chapter 12, I want you to see overall a couple of very important things. Now, I don't know about you, but the book of Revelation is highly symbolic. There's over 300 and some symbols in the book of Revelation. It's kind of like the Chronicles of Narnia. How many have read the Chronicles of Narnia? How many are familiar with C.S. Lewis's great works, these great moral, moral stories? And in writing the Chronicles of Narnia, they are adventures that are highly symbolic. For instance, you have the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And who knows who the lion represents in the story? We find out. Who knows who the witch represents in the story? We find out. But these are symbols. The lion is a symbol for someone else. And the witch is a symbol for someone else. And the important thing that you and I need to keep in mind is the book of Revelation was written in symbols that describe very, very, very important events. Now, let me give you a quick illustration because I think this is valuable. When I, when I said that the third trumpet and the fourth trumpet and the fifth trumpet were sounded, and then we were told that five, six, and seven are going to be very woeful indeed, we have a horrifying story or a horrifying description of what's going to happen during the fifth trumpet. In chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and smoke rose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit, and then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were commanded not to harm the green grass or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And then we have a description of these locusts that don't have any, any description like what we're familiar with, because in verse 7, they're shaped like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men, and they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And then the, the, the description continues in verse 9. But it's... It's one of the most 
detailed descriptions of God's judgment where he allows the locust to come from the bottomless pit. Now, I just, just want to say to you that this is a, whatever you want to describe it to be. You know, we've had everything from helicopters to, uh, um, uh, to all kinds of things. I don't even want to bring them up. But the point is this. We know that whatever it is, we know that it's a demonic, a demonic attack and invasion from the bottomless pit. We do know that. And it's followed by the next seal where you have another, another um, demonic um, uh, event to occur. But having said that now, I just want to get into the heart of the message this morning. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, we have the seventh trumpet sounded. And then we have in chapters 12, 13, and 14 that are the biggest interlude or break in the action, so to speak, of those seals, those trumpets, and those bowls. And we have to understand, we have to understand that this book is hard to understand because of the symbolism, and we need to be very careful about our explanations. But you have to be sitting there, and many, many times I've read through the book of Revelation when I was growing up, and I used to ask myself the question, how can I get anything out of this book? I need someone to explain it to me. I need someone to answer my critical questions about who these symbols represent or what they represent. But you and I know that we're standing here and sitting here today in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to take a look at chapter 12 and see how easy some of this is to understand. The two critical questions that we have when we get to chapter 12 is the question, who? We're going to ask that several times. And the question, when? So let's look at chapter 12, verses 1 and following in the remaining time that we have. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. Now this is between the seventh trumpet and the first bold judgment. And now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. So here's a symbol. It's symbolizing something, but the symbol itself is not the actual picture that you and I are to see when we look at what it represents. This is to help us to understand it. And so the woman was number one, what? Everybody together, clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and number two, on her head was a garland of 12 stars. Now, is that enough information for us to at least begin to think about who on earth this woman could possibly be? I think so. When you see the glory of Israel as it was described in the Old Testament, I think you'll begin to think in the right direction. But look at verse 2. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Does that help us to identify who the woman is? And being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. 
I think it does. I think it does. And I think we're moving in the right direction. But before we answer that question, let's go back to chapter 12, verse 3, for the second character, the second person that is being referred to in this passage of Scripture. Verse 3 says, Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Now, who on earth is this red dragon? And, of course, John is giving us this information so that we can imagine this, so we can take a look at this because it helps us to put in perspective the, the uh, you know, I, you know we, we watch these, uh, we watch these f- uh, films about dragons and, and they're terrifying and they're hard to defeat and almost impossible to defeat. And, and uh, so we have this wonderful description here of a, a great red fiery dragon. But who does he represent? He has seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head, which means that he obviously has conquered many kingdoms, conquered many nations. And then here's a second clue in verse 4. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So here is the red dragon. He has conquered nations. And number two, the Bible says that his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood, number three, before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Does all of this lead you to somewhat of a conclusion as to who the red dragon is? And if so, do you now, can you now identify who the woman is who is pregnant with child? Who do you think the red dragon is? Satan. Now, you came up with that? Just a matter of reading it, looking at the symbolism, and comparing it with Scripture. Because no doubt some of you looked at this and said, I, that clearly looks to me like Satan because he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And most of us look at that and say, that, that probably describes his original fall from heaven when he rebelled against God. And we have two great descriptions of that. One in Isaiah chapter 14, and then take 14 and multiply it by 2, and you have 28. Go to Ezekiel chapter 28, And you have a second description of Satan fallen from heaven. They're beautiful descriptions. We don't have time to look at them this morning, but you want to take them home and you want to read these descriptions of Satan when he fell and rebelled against God in heaven. And I think ever since that time we have related this passage to that and said, you know what? I think he must have taken a third of the angels in heaven with him. Well, how about the child in chapter 12, verse 5? She bore a male child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Who is the child? 
Jesus is the child. And that is easy for us to see because the Bible says, number one, he is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. The day is coming when Jesus is going to come back to this earth and he's not going to put up with all the nonsense that we have been giving to him. He's not going to put up with all the crime. He's not going to put up with all, the, all of the uh, immorality. He's not going to put up with it. It's going to be eradicated and he will rule the world with a rod of iron. As a loving, loving ruler, by the way, shall I say. Because there's nothing but love in the Lord as well as justice. But it's loving justice. It's fair justice, it's, it's mercy with justice, it's compassion with justice. But nevertheless, we know that this is a description of the Lord. And number two, he was caught up to God and to his throne. What does that refer to? That refers to the ascension, right, of Jesus Christ into heaven. Now, who then is the woman? And that's critical as we close this out this morning. Who then is the woman? If Christ is the child and the red dragon is Satan, who is the woman? Israel. How many were going to say that but didn't? All right, raise your hand if you were going to say that. Israel, everybody together. The nation of Israel. All right? And so the Bible says that the woman, in verse 6, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God and they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now, I told you that the biggest question to answer in this chapter are the who questions. And we've identified the three most important personalities in this passage of Scripture. And what you want to do now is you want to ask yourself the question, when is all of this to occur? But before you say, ah, I think I know, I just want to remind you of a couple of things to think about. How many times was Satan kicked out of heaven? Or how many times will Satan be kicked out of heaven? How many think it's only once? How many think it's twice? How many think three times? Three times. Now, for some reason, Satan has somewhat of an access but to heaven. But the biggest time that he was kicked out of heaven, by the way, was not necessarily when he fell and took a third of the angels with him. The second time Satan was kicked out of heaven was it the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ? And you know that, don't you? You know that. You know that when Jesus sent 70 disciples out to share the gospel and, and to heal people, they came back and, and they said, we can't believe it. The, what, what is happening is incredible. And the Lord says, I've, I'm seeing Satan falling from heaven. You'll remember that Jesus says in John, he says, listen, this is the time of judgment for Satan where he is going to be cast out. And so I want you to keep in mind that probably the best thing you and I can do when we think about the devil in this passage of Scripture is the, is the several times that he is either 
kicked out or going to be kicked out. Because let's read what happens next. In verse 6, when the Bible says, Then the women fled into the wilderness where she was a pla- had, a, it had as a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. I immediately look at that verse of Scripture and I say, Oh, this is, this is certainly the end of the world. This is certainly a description of the seven-year tribulation period that Daniel spoke about in the 10th chapter or in the last part of the book of Daniel. That doesn't make any difference what, what religious persuasion you are when it comes to the Word of God and great tribulation or tribulation. You don't even have to believe that there's going to be a seven-year tribulation for you to say, the one thing I do know is that before Jesus returns, there's going to be enormous problems, persecution, trials, tribulations, even if you don't agree on the seven years. But let me explain to you why, real quickly, that I think that this verse refers to the end of the world, the seven-year tribulation period, and it's probably, it's probably, there's a hint in here that you probably wouldn't normally see. Here it is. In verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there. How long? 1,260 days. 1,260 days. Now, if you divide 1,260 days by 360, which was the lunar year for the Jewish people, that works out to be three and a half years. Keep that in mind. Back up at verse 11, I want you to see two quick verses of Scripture. In verse 11, chapter 2, after John was given a reed to measure the temple... The Bible says that he was told to leave out the court which is outside the temple in verse 2. And do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for how long? Everybody together. Forty-two months. Well, you have 1,260 days, all right, three and a half years and you have 42 months, how long is 42 months? Three and a half years. Then you have in verse 3 another reference to what? 1,260 days. So already we have three very detailed references to time. But I want you to go to another one in chapter 12, verse 14. Because here is a verse that does the very same thing that we see in chapter 12, verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness. What's the woman doing in chapter 12? In chapter chapter 12, verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and a half time. Now... Daniel and Revelation go together. Those two books are to be understood together. And Daniel uses the time reference of a time, times, and a half a time. 
The time in Daniel represents one year. Times represents two. Two plus one equals three. And a half a time is three and a half. And if that isn't enough information for you to say, well, the one thing I can say about the times is that there seems to be a gravitation to three and a half years, three and a half years, three and a half years, three and a half years. And that's not the end of it, but we don't need to look at any more references, do we? But what you need to do then is look at all of those references, what's happening every time the reference is being made. You know, we're seeing, we're seeing, the, great tri we're seeing the tribulation period we're seeing it gather in intensity. We're seeing it gather in strength. We're seeing it to come to the point where you're going to have the last three and a half years to be the worst. They're going to be the worst. And how do I confirm that? Well, I confirm that by the book of Daniel. Now, just we went through the book of Daniel, but you, you go back to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel describes the fact that the seven-year tribulation period is going to be divided into two periods. The second three and a half years are going to be the worst of all of it. Okay, now having said that, what do we do next? Okay, I want you to read chapter 12, verses 7 and following, because after he sets the scene in verses 1 through 6 with these three, and he describes that God is going to protect the woman... Notice what he does. He goes back and he says in verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Who's Michael? Who's Michael? He is uh, an archangel, is he not? The Bible describes him as an archangel. He's in the book of Daniel, so it's pretty appropriate to see him in the book of Revelation. In the book of Daniel, he wrestled for three weeks with an evil angel before he could get his message to Daniel. A beautiful description of how God ultimately will defeat Satan, but for some reason, Satan puts up a struggle like you and I wouldn't believe. And I'll tell you what, if you don't go, go away with anything else, you should go away with this in mind this morning. The war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Well, my mind goes back to the first time he was kicked out. My mind goes back to the second time, and this could refer to the third time. So the great dragon was what? Cast out. That serpent of old, and if you didn't, didn't know who he was, you do now. That serpent of old called what? The devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world that he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and of the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. I don't know about you, but this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. I, and I just want to bring it to your attention so that you understand this. You know, the, the, the devil's big thing is to be a, a false accuser, an accuser of the brother. You know, false accusation is one of the Ten Commandments, so I've said to Don 
many times because in this climate today, you can say whatever you want, and apparently we're supposed to believe that it's true. And, and you can say it as if it were true when you know it's not true. And uh, the Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not bear false witness. So we know God's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty definite on His judgment of those who are guilty of false accusations. But no one is better than this than Satan himself. He is the accuser of the brethren. He wants to accuse you. He wants to accuse me. He's done it all through history. He's done it with all of the apostles, all of the saints, down through the years. And he accuses you and he accuses me of everything under the sun. We have illustration after illustration of it in the Bible. We have a couple of great illustrations of the Old Testament. When he's kicked out of heaven, it probably doesn't stop him. He still continues to accuse because God's going to hear every accusation wherever Satan says it. Right? doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And the interesting thing here is that the only way that they were able to overcome and the only way that we're able to overcome the accusations of Satan is by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they held to that. Well, you know, you can accuse me whatever you want, but my sins have been forgiven. You can accuse me of whatever you want, but I'm covered with the blood of the Lamb. You can accuse me from now till doomsday. And it doesn't change the fact that I've been, been, been forgiven and healed by the power of his Christ. And, and, and that's a pretty important thing. Now, I, I want to finish this up in verses 13 and following. Let's finish this up. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness of her place where she is nourished for times and a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. But I'm telling you what, if you cannot if you do not see the relentless the unrelenting activity and hate of the devil here I don't know what a passage of Scripture that we can refer to that will make you see that. Look at what it says here in verse 15. Satan hates the, the mother of the child, the woman of the child, so much. I shouldn't say mother there, but it's the woman because it represents the nation of Israel. The woman of the child so much that notice what he does in chapter 12, verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth. That's symbolic like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God, Old Testament, Jewish people, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, the church. That's what we have to deal with. But wonderful is this passage of Scripture where the Bible says that God is going to take Israel and protect her in the wilderness. It's symbolic. We don't know. Years ago, uh, people on the radio, I remember many years ago, would say, well, he's going to take them all to Petra. He's going to take the nation of Israel to Petra and hide them in that red rose city. 
until after the three and a half years of tribulation are over. But that's all speculation. The fact of the matter is God's going to protect his people. And uh, so that's, that's the illustration that we have here. Now, I, 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 I could go through, I could go through, you know, what you need to do is read the book of Revelation and ask yourself, notice, notice what it says, it says, the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Now, I don't, what, what, what physical phenomena do you know of would allow that to happen? I mean, if it were symbolic, but what physical phenomena, would, where the earth opens up and swallows a, a flood, what, what's the physical phenomena? Earthquake. Now, you read the book of Revelation and you ask yourself, how many times do we have references to earthquakes in the book of Revelation? Jesus, when he gave the Mount all of a discourse in Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, he said, listen, you're going to know the second coming of Christ. You're going to know this is going to happen because... Because until then, you're going to see earthquakes in various places. Probably developing more in intensity until you see so many of them in the book of Revelation. But I want to remind you of this one, very important one, back in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 14. I want to remind you of this earthquake, okay? This earthquake certainly helps the children of Israel, doesn't it? In Zechariah chapter 14, Malachi is the last book of the Bible. Zechariah is right next to it. 14 is right next to Malachi. And notice what it says in chapter 14, verse 1. You can't read this passage too much. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. Battle of Armageddon. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then, what's going to happen? The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be what? Split into two. And that describes an earthquake to me. From east to west, making a very large valley. Half the mountain shall move toward the north, half of it toward the south. Then what's the next beautiful, beautiful reference? Then, everybody together. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley. For the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. yes. You shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. I'm going to give you a couple quick references, a couple applications. This won't take long at all. First one's going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. We need to treat our relationship with the Lord, our service for Him, our spiritual exercises of prayer and Bible reading and fellowship together pretty seriously in this day and age in which we live. There shouldn't be any fooling around for us as believers when it comes to all of these things that God has given to us to protect ourselves or for Him to protect us from the enemy, including the armor of God. Finally, verse 10 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you will be able to stand against the what? 
the wiles of the devil, for we what? Wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. God protects us with all of the spiritual exercises He asks us to fulfill. Through our study of Scripture, through our prayer, through our fellowship, through our service. It's all so that He can protect us from Satan's wiles. And then finally, this one here. And this is it. I'm done. As soon as we go to the Old Testament, Psalm 124. I love the book of Psalms because the Psalms is filled with human emotion. It's filled with, uh, you know, if you want to get a good idea of, of how we think as humans and, and, um, and how we really depend upon the Lord, Psalms is a good book to do that. And I like this one here because it really, it really takes me to Revelation chapter 12 where the Bible says that here's the devil... God is going to protect Israel. He's going to protect Israel. But in the process of protecting Israel, he's going to have to deal with the flood that Satan is going to create against Israel. Now, anti-Semitism is probably the best word to describe the persecution of the Jewish people today. You know what I mean? Probably the best thing. It is uncanny the way the world hates this little country. It is uncanny a way by the way the neighbors hate this little country. For what? Because Satan hates this little country. Because it was through this little country that God gave to us the Messiah. And, and, and we're just following, the world's just falling into the hands of Satan. But look, at I'm just going to read this. And it's just self-explanatory. Look at first, uh, Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. See how he starts that? He says, if it, you know, the, the Lord has to be on our side. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. Verse 4. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. And the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. But blessed be the Lord who has not given us prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowler. What a word picture there. The snare is broken and we have escaped and then here it is, everybody together. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's good enough. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to put in perspective this that we've looked at today and what we will look at next week as we put all of this together. We ask in your precious name that you would remind us that you're there to help us. You're there to guide us. You're there to protect us. Father, help us not to step out of your love. Help us not to be where we shouldn't be. Help us not to do what we shouldn't be doing. Lord, we pray this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Let's all stand together.